Right on, right on. Welcome to the MJ Sports Podcast. I'm Michael. He is Josh. We are here with you to, um, I guess, kick this off, Josh. I, do you call it a pilot like they do in show business or a premiere? I'm not even sure. We're not really in show business, but uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'd, uh, I guess technically it would be something along those lines. It's our first official episode after the trailer launch, so i guess this would be the official premiere of the podcast <laughs> yeah yeah no it's good right season one episode one uh we got a lot to cover today on the show we're doing a cfl labor day recap the unofficial halfway point of the cfl season has come and gone and we want to dive into those games and break them down a little bit um, a lot of classic rivalries um, i was fortunate to be at the uh at the rider game and at Mosaic with our dad and uh, take that in. And uh, we got some NHL things to break down um, and we're going to get all to that um, on the show here. So stay tuned. All right, here we are, Josh, uh, season one, episode one, first bit of content here. Uh, we want to talk about the CFL. Big uh, weekend in CFL with Labor Day Classics all over the place. Um, one of the greatest weekends, I think, in the CFL calendar. Kind of the unofficial halfway point, right? Because a lot of the teams, like I know the Riders went in there 6-5, and five, so they played 11 games. And, uh, I mean, halfway through is 9. So it's not quite exactly 9, but it is the unofficial halfway point, midway point of the season. Um, unfortunately, the Bombers won that game that Dad and I were at and uh, punched their ticket to the postseason. They are the first team to do so. Um, that was inevitable <laughs> when you're 10-1. and one. But uh, let's break them down in order of how they happened. Uh, the first one uh, took place on Friday, Friday night football. Ottawa was in Montreal, and uh, Montreal's had a lot of stuff going on, right? They've, uh, they've traded Vernon Adams to BC. Um, I'll be very intrigued to see if he is up to speed to play uh, in uh, in Montreal for BC this upcoming week. We'll see. They say they're easing him into the offense, whatever that means, um, when you have two quarterbacks injured and you're relying on Antonio Pipkin. Not, no offense to, to Pipkin, but uh, Vern Adams might be your better choice. But, uh, yeah, did you get a chance to look at the highlights there? And what did you think of the Ottawa-Montreal game? Ottawa seems to be turning a corner, but are they? I don't know. Yeah, they're kind of a weird team this year. Like, they started off pretty slow, uh, couldn't seem to catch a break, and then uh, they seem to find ways to win in these last few weeks here. Um, it's kind of nice to see Nick Arbuckle turn in the corner as well. Um, can feel for that guy who's kind of been turning into the Kevin Glenn. He's kind of been... <laughs> going to every team it seems like and uh never really gets his chance but uh yeah no i thought it was a thought it was a good game overall like uh Ottawa obviously came out with the win there and the alouettes putting all their chips in behind uh trevor harris now with uh the trading of uh vernon adams to bc which i find very intriguing uh just because uh oh what's his name qb of bc at space and out right now uh, Rourke O'Connor and Rourke. Rourke, that's who it is. Yeah, since he got injured, uh, yeah, no, it's interesting because when he comes back, you're gonna have two starters there. So, 
be an interesting offseason to see where Vernon Adams, I feel like he's probably the odd man out. I don't know where his contract sits if he's got any more years left on it, but I mean, he's probably going to be moving in the offseason again, I'd say, somewhere. Um, but yeah, no, overall, overall, it's a good game. I paid a little more attention to Battle of Alberta and Bombers and Riders than I did at Red Red Blacks and Alouettes, but well, overall, the Red Blacks game, and the Alouettes are the uh, Labor Day game everyone comes to watch. Um, I'm totally kidding. It's uh, it's in, but I agree with you, Arbuckle, right? So they they traded. He signed in Ottawa, right? Didn't Calgary traded him there way back, like when Lapolis went. Lapolis became the coach. They traded him to Toronto for Matt Nichols, who we have not heard of in a while now. And then, uh, then he goes to Edmonton. Chris Jones, like, openly does not want him there, but he plays him for the first three or four games, then trades him back to Ottawa. He's come kind of full circle. But when he's with Calgary, he was dynamite, right? So to see him have a stat line that has 313 passing yards um, and a touchdown, no picks, compared to Harris, who had two of each, um, great game, right? And the, and the defense is there. Um, they have uh, their returner back, right? Um, it's it's going to be intriguing to to see where this team goes now because the East is so wide open that they can legitimately win the East um, playoff games, right? Like it's, I, I think Toronto's going to finish in number one, but the second place team gets the home game regardless because more often than not the West crosses over, right? Like my my riders are in fourth place, but they could be tied for first in the uh, in the East. Like it's ridiculous. Um, but that game was interesting. Montreal is kind of on a tear. I mean, I was, I was at the game when they beat Winnipeg. Um, and so you saw some just grit in that team, but yeah, I think Harris, who they, he didn't want to be a backup this year. He wasn't going to come back to Montreal. Things are looking good in his life right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I found it very interesting too. Like, uh, after the, uh, that owner or part owner, whoever he was, kind of stepped back from the team a little bit. Then immediately, like within days, Vernon Adams was traded, and he was kind of the guy who kept denying that trade, and he didn't want to didn't want to get rid of him. But as soon as he kind of steps back, they're like, "Okay, see you later." <laughs> kind of yeah, shipping like, over to BC. So exactly, Gary Stern. He was reportedly the owner, part of the ownership that uh, didn't want to. He kept blocking that trade, and uh, so he steps back, and like you say, boom, he was gone, and. Um, what is a first round pick in the CFL draft? Like, I don't know that it's like another sport, but they do at least get something for him when you're not going to play him very much. Um, we'll see where he goes. Dominic Davis is behind Harris. He can, he plays the backup role. We saw him do it in Ottawa. Um, he'll be, he'll be okay. But I mean, that game to me was a, an Ottawa statement. It wasn't like they squeaked out the win either. Like the first seven weeks, I think they lost by a combined score of 21 points, seven games. And like they were losing by two, by one, yeah. by three, like it was bad. So now that they're winning games and winning like that is, uh, is pretty, pretty awesome. But then we moved to, uh, to Regina. Dad and I were at that game. Um, and I want to say on a serious note on this podcast, the, uh, my, my heart goes out to the uh, victims of this, this stabbing attack that happened that day. But the day of the game, we were getting ready to, to go and all of a sudden our phones went off that this guy these guys could be loose in in Regina to take precaution they had extra police at the game uh it was quite a actually scary thing until you got in you're like 
they felt normal after that. But I do, I do feel for those families. That is a terrible tragedy that's happened there, uh, continues to unfold. But um, got in the stadium, Dad and I did for about an hour before kickoff, and just watch it fill with blue and green, mainly green. Obviously, next week in Winnipeg will be uh, the Banjo Bowl, or stay this week, um, it'll be the opposite. But um, what a game! Riders jump out to a fourteen nothing lead based on turnovers, some dynamite defense, some kicking, uh, just rolling, right? Like the opening drive, Winnipeg chose to kick it to them, play defense, and the Riders score a touchdown. That's what you want to do. Um, next thing you know, it's 17 all at the half, and then Mark Leggio kicks a 55-yard field goal. I watched him three weeks ago cost the Bombers their first loss, right? Like, Or caused the loss, I should say. He missed the two field goals, crucial yeah. field goals. Um, and then he goes and kicks that. The Riders are down on the 20. For whatever reason, they had a minute and a half to kill, kick the field goal, win the game. They pass, it's picked off, the rest is history. But um, what did you think watching that game? Like, I, I just thought it was a phenomenal showing by both teams. Like, the Riders proved they can play with them. Um, the Bombers are not um, – they're, they're great. Obviously, they're the best team in the CFL. But it's not that the Bombers are running away with some wins here. Like, they've, they've won a game because BD missed a convert. They've – lost in overtime due to a field goal like they're not they're not winning by 30 every week and this game was just the most entertaining cfl game i have been at live but uh what did you think of it yeah no i there are riders blue bombers is always a good rivalry rivalry to watch i'd say it's probably mm -hmm. that and battle of alberta and the cfl is kind of the two marquee games you'd want to see um but yeah no i thought it was a pretty good game overall uh I, again i haven't with uh, having kids and stuff, I'm not able to watch start to finish. So I kind of spotty throughout the games, kind of tuning in and out of them, uh, watching different bits and pieces. But uh, from what I've been watching of the Riders, it just seems, I don't know, Fajardo just doesn't seem like himself like he was a couple of years ago. Uh, just seems like something's missing. Like he has these, like, like that first half where he just everything's going right and then second half they're tied up and things start to go downhill and he just it's like he's trying to force things and it just doesn't seem to work out and I mean a pick at the end that's very fluky it happened against uh same situation uh against uh <laughs> Calgary there and a while back there so mm -hmm. I mean it's not like Winnipeg played some amazing defense at the very end there and stole it away it was kind of just a fluke tip pass and picked off and then they had the possession but i agree with you i don't know why why you pass it when you got to to just kill time just and uh what's his name Hick hickson was playing super well oh. he wasn't having issues so i mean like why not just keep feeding it to him kill as much time as you can and then kick the field goal you take a one-point lead and play defense for the last whatever you have left on the clock but i mean it just seemed weird that he had been playing well all game. He's running over people, dropping his shoulder. He's fighting for extra yards. And then, yeah, like you said, you go to pass it in the last couple of minutes. It just seemed very strange. Well, he had 85 yards of uh, rushing on 15 carries. He's averaging 5.7 yards per carry, according to the stat line here. And um, 40, I think it was 47 of those yards were in the first half or 57. I forget what the number was. But it's like they just abandon the run. And, I mean, in the second half, Fajardo comes on the field. He takes a time count violation. Then there's an offside – or procedure, sorry. Um, so then you're at second and 20. 
the whole stadium knows he has to throw the ball. So they just drop everyone back in the defense and he handed off to Hicks and people are like, what are you doing? Well, yeah, he's not going to risk a pick, but I also have to say the only thing that changed from Fajardo, like last year, he was so, so in the 14 game schedule the year before though lights out, right? No one really knew much about him and what he could do. The only change is offensive coordinators and Jason Moss called that play to pass. And I just got to wonder why I liked him growing up as an Eskimo at the time. I guess you don't say that anymore, but he's like, I don't know what happened there. Like, I don't know why you call that play and why you abandoned the run when Hickson was, I was scared. I thought the whole game was going to be for Jarrell running for his life from Jefferson and Jeff coat and just throwing downfield. Like I thought that would be the whole game. And Hickson was just finding hole after hole after hole. The option passes, everything was working. Uh, why they abandoned, why they pass, I don't know. Um, I got home yeah. to went to Manitoba here after that game, and uh, yeah, I'll hear about it all week until the Banjo Bowl, and then who knows whatever happens there, I'll hear about it again. So um, that was an interesting one. Fajardo, though, one of the best games of his season: seventy-one point nine percent completion. Uh, 292 yards, one pick, no touchdown passes. He had the touchdown uh, on the ground, um, whereas Caleros had 62 and a half. The other thing that obviously comes out of this game was Garrett Marino, kind of a cheap shot on Caleros. Um, that's the one that got on TV. Fajardo took one in the stadium too. We all saw it on the Jumbotron and we're booing. It, it's a wash. You don't want to see people get hurt. Uh, and just about two hours before we record this this evening, uh, Garrett Marino has been released by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders now. So that leaves another hole in the defensive line that someone will get an opportunity to step up. Um, I think it's in the best interest of the league and with the Riders just not have that distraction. And then you had Duke Williams, who wasn't even dressed, getting a penalty on the bench. Uh, it was just a an all-out weird game um, in the second half. First half, 17-17, and there was four points scored in the second half. Defense, there's a lot of two and outs. Um, great game nonetheless. And that's obviously the one I'll talk the most about because I was there and it was a privilege to watch. Um, then we moved to uh, Toronto Hamilton, uh, our brother, Nate, that is his team. Um, we were driving home that day, eight, eight at halftime. I'm like, wow, Hamilton's in it. And then Katrina, my wife checks the score uh, 28 to eight final for Toronto. I was like, okay, uh, Hamilton didn't score any more points. I was like, I don't know that team. I don't know what's wrong there. We were all excited for Dane Evans and Jeremiah Mazzoli to see who'd be better this year. And for different reasons, they've both been awful. Um, what, yeah. What do you think of that? Like, I, I don't know what to make of that Hamilton team right now. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, I think they made the wrong decision keeping Dane Evans. That's my personal opinion. I think Jeremiah Mazzoli is a lot more versatile and uh, keeping Dane Evans, I thought was, a mistake originally and it turns out it looks like that's kind of what it's turning into is they should have kept Mazzoli in my opinion and that game was weird too because I mean the uh, only touchdown the Ticats got was on a pick six so their defense actually got them the points uh, mm -hmm. yeah it wasn't anything like it's not like they're running this amazing offense and they at least got a touchdown out of it it was their defense scored it for them but uh the other thing I liked about that game was uh, Brandon Banks with his two touchdowns and that one celebration where he goes over to the panel and he's holding up like two fingers. We got two so far. <laughs> yeah, starting to succeed. I mean, uh, I pulled up his stats here just to kind of check it out, and it's uh, he doesn't 
catch a bunch. Like uh, his biggest, most catches he got in a game was five, and that was back in July. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's kind of anywhere from one to three, and he doesn't catch a lot, which is kind of strange because I mean I don't. Moving to Toronto was kind of a strange thing too because he was kind of the number one guy, or at least the number two guy in Hamilton, and moved over to Toronto. But I mean, yeah. And he's a good receiver, I mean, and good return guy. But, uh, yeah, no, it's an interesting game again. Another interesting one where Ticats, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. They can't seem to catch a break lately either, and it's just kind of strange. Well, I think on the Banks front, it's uh, Toronto fans, the few of them there seem to be, uh, are probably, like, screaming out finally, right? Because in the two games against the Riders, that McLeod Bethel Thompson pass to Brandon Banks was attempted many times and never caught. I think maybe once, but like not a big gain. And so the fact that he has two catches, one of the touchdowns was a rushing touchdown for four yards, but um, still like, I, I'm sure they're like, finally he's contributing here and who better to do it against right. than your old team uh, maybe gives him some, some fire in the tank, but even still like you look at, um, McLeod Bethel Thompson so he was 22 for 34 298 two touchdowns two picks 64 percent completion but his receivers Banks had two catches Uled had five Gittins Jr. had three Devaris Daniels had four Coxie had three uh, Ambles had five like there's no one here just like one play and they're done for the game right like he spreads the ball around so well um, I think he's just been in the shadow of all the guys that have come through there Arbuckle James Franklin, all these guys lost, like we're supposed to be the starters and McLeod Bethel Thompson has outlived them all. But what fascinates me is it's 11-8 to start the fourth quarter for, uh, for Toronto. And it's like, you're a field goal away. Um, they take Jamie Newman, who's the third string quarterback on the team regularly when they're all healthy. They put him on the bench. They bring in Jalen Morton, who's the fourth string quarterback on the depth chart. He goes two for six with 13 yards and with a pick. And then they put him, put Newman back in the game. Meanwhile, Dane Evans is third. He's on the depth chart for the game. He's available to play. So have they lost confidence in Dane Evans completely or what the heck were they doing? I mean, I I asked our brother, Nate, who watches these games, these Ticat games. And he said it was the weirdest thing because they put him in, they put Newman in that is, and then they take him out, put, put the other guy in um morton and then also they put newman back in and didn't fix anything they didn't score any points in the second half but i don't and dane evans just stands there and watches and i mean dane evans rescued them in the playoffs last year against toronto but then he started the gray cup against winnipeg for the second year in a row and had same problems he looked like he hadn't learned a lesson at all mazzoli comes in he throws that pass like with two seconds left and it's dropped in the end zone. They go play overtime. We know Winnipeg then wins on a tip, but it's uh, like Mazzoli always just seemed to be the rock for that team. And I, it looks Ottawa's going to, I believe Ottawa wins a great cup sooner than Hamilton does. If these quarterbacks stay on these teams. And I don't think you can really dispute that, but that it was just a weird thing. I didn't watch the whole game, but I watched the highlights and it was just, even the commentators are like, Okay, I guess they're putting him in now. And they're like, it was weird. I don't know what to even make of that. Yeah, no, just a weird game. And yeah, I don't know. Dane Evans just like watching him play sometimes, it's like he makes a mistake and then he just like, it's, he can't seem to like 
just move on from it. It seems to like hold him back from <laughs> moving on, and he then he just makes more and more mistakes. And yeah, I don't know. I always liked Jeremiah Mazzoli a little better than Dane Evans, and I'm not a Ticat fan of it. By like, I'm not a fan of any team in the CFL. I just enjoy the game. But I mean, he just Jeremiah Mazzoli just seemed a lot more versatile, and he's always throwing over 300 yards a game and stuff. And it's just like, I don't know why you let him go over yeah. Dane Evans, in my opinion. But <laughs> yeah. Well, then we finish off with the uh, – we'll see where that goes, right? But we finish off with the Battle of Alberta Classic. The Elks are on the road, so they don't have to hear about their home losing streak. Um, you and I were fortunate – what was it, four years ago or five, five years ago now? We were at that Labor Day game, right? Calgary-Edmonton. I think it was 2017. Before. And so – you think it was 2018? It was one of those I years. So. Anyways, uh, but we watched Mike Riley <laughs> play against uh, Boldy by Mitchell – and um uh what's his name he was the returner roy finch returned one for a touchdown there's like it was just all fanfare alberta teams um i showed up in all my green for the riders and uh, just enjoyed the game there with you and um but this 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 game just never gets old this is a classic rivalry it doesn't matter if the teams are like both one and nine like 28 or 26 18 was the final for for calgary edmonton played a game uh, Cornelius had 257, two touchdowns, no picks, 22 for 33. Uh, Jake Mayer took a bit to get going, but eventually he did. Um, Kadeem Carey is never, uh, never a slouch on this team. Um, but uh, what did you think of the game? Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, uh, I think, I think Bo Levi Mitchell's time is kind of coming to an end here. Uh, Jake Mayer seems to be able to handle things pretty well <laughs> and take and like lead them to victory. And uh, I'm also enjoying watching Cornelius in Edmonton, actually. Like uh, he was kind of, was he the third string at one point or whatever, but uh, he's kind of seemed to come into his own as well. And he's starting to figure it out and starting to learn from his mistakes. And he's a very versatile quarterback as well. And very, very tall. I think he's like six, six or something like that. He's, Big yeah, guy. Big. yeah so that also helps you just and, throwing over the o-line yeah right? like, so oh yeah exactly and then uh kadeem carries just an animal i don't like <laughs> i don't know how else to describe him he just seems to just every time he gets hit or he move or uh tries to get tackled he's always just keeps breaking them and i saw one play uh Jake Mayer kind of dumped it off to him and two Edmonton guys were closing and he kind of went sideways and they hit each other and he took off and almost got a touchdown off that. I think it was in the opening drive and stuff. And like, it's just crazy. Like, and then they have, uh, what's his name is the backup running back who does all their returns. Like, Logan. Yeah. That guy's yeah. incredible too. Like, he, yeah, Logan, like he almost had a return for a touchdown in that game too. Like, I don't know. Calgary's just always been a pretty dominant team. Like they're pretty steady in that. And <laughs> uh like that game was kind of no different like it was pretty close but i mean they kind of took over in the end of it there so well i think they said edmonton had come in there um with the exception of one win had lost 11 of the labor day games in the last decade or last 12 years or something um so it's usually usually the home team wins those games that's why the toronto win was rare i mean i don't know if it was unexpected um the Riders almost pulled it out. Like the Riders have played Winnipeg when they've been 0 and 9, and that was their first win of the year. Like those games are always fun to watch. But um, 
the game was like I watched some of the highlights and John Ryan had his punt blocked and then the next punt he kicks goes off Logan's face mask and bounces 10 yards ahead of him right into the Edmonton hands like, there's just madness happening there but Calgary always finds these running backs right so we have Kerry they got Messam from Saskatchewan who also he did kind of a tour of the CFL um and I mean, they had John Cornish before John Cornish. They had Joffrey Reynolds with Henry Burris. They were a dynamic duo. Uh, it, like they don't run out of talent there, and and people want to play there, right? It's a winning culture in that locker room. They've won great cups. Um, the only people that want them to win are Calgary fans. Everyone else gets so tired of watching them. Um, but it is. It's that's how they play, right? And they play hard. In in reference to the Bolivar Mitchell thing, though, I. I wonder, right? Like a lot of people don't remember, like he's, he's played against Ricky Ray. He's played against Henry Burris. He's played against Darian Durant. All these guys have moved on. Calvillo, I think he might've played a game against him back then, but that was, that was kind of just at the beginning, but like all these guys have moved on. Mitchell's not super old, but people don't realize like he's been around a while. And so if he's losing his, what's the word? I don't know. His funk, I guess. Like if he's in a funk then and he's losing kind of his game, you got to move on because the CFL doesn't wait for anyone, right? The, the games aren't, the season's not long. It's not like you have 10 games to correct the mistakes. Um, you just got to move forward with it. Right. So. Yeah. And I mean, Oliver Mitchell has nothing left to prove. He's had an amazing career chasing well, the great cup or something like he, finish off his career and be like one of the greatest or whatever like he's kind of done it all and he's like i like i said i don't think he's anything left to prove yeah no i i think you're right i mean i I looked up some of his stats here and he's dressed for 156 cfl games he's made 117 starts he has 90 wins 25 losses and two ties when they those happen they're very rare and a two-time stanley stanley cup great cup champion right so he, he's accomplished it. He's won almost all you can win in the CFL, except maybe like a three-peat yeah. somewhere. But like, um, and I've never been yeah, sad to see him play. lose Grey Cup either. So, And then uh, just a personal note, then we got uh, Luther Hakunavanu of yes. Stan Peters. I actually went to high school with using my class in Edmonton from uh, grade uh, what would it have been? Grade five or six, he was there until we ended up moving to Saskatchewan, our family. But, like, yeah, no, it's very cool to watch him playing in the CFL and, like, be like, oh, I actually knew that guy. Like, I played, <laughs> played football with him at recess. Like, <laughs> was in He's class. He's come a long way. And, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, he's, it's just kind of cool to watch. Yeah, and I think he has probably like catch of the year type uh, type uh, catch there in that game. Re- remarkable spin over the shoulder there, and um, we'll see, right? I, the, this week we're gonna see a lot of rematches. Um, BC's in Montreal. I really hope we see Vernon Adams starting for BC. I, I just think that'd be such an intriguing storyline. Um, different weapons, obviously, with the Lions than he had with Montreal, and that's not a slight against Montreal. They're just built differently. Um, Toronto will be in Ottawa, so they don't rematch the Ticats. They played them four times in the last five weeks, so I guess you have to take a break eventually. 
But that Ottawa game has been a crucial. Ottawa has to win that game to stay in pace with the East if they want. They have to beat Toronto at home. Um, they haven't won at home in a long time. I don't think it's – or it sure seems. Um, the Riders will be in Winnipeg uh, for the Banjo Bowl and then Calgary's in Edmonton to finish it off. There's a the first Super Saturday on TSN. The games start at 1, 4, and 7 Central. Uh, every three hours is a new game. I will be at the Banjo Bowl, so I'll kind of miss the other ones on, on the bookends of that, but looking forward to it, and uh, we'll see see what happens. Uh, lots can change in a week with the standings in the CFL. Um, but, yeah, I think that's where we're at with CFL. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be back, and then we'll talk a, a bit of NHL, Josh, and uh, we'll talk some signings, some trades, and uh, maybe some Oilers as well. Stay tuned on the MJ Sports Pod. You're listening to the MJ Sports Podcast, Season 1, Episode 1. Josh, we want to get to some NHL stuff here. A lot of stuff has happened uh, in the world of hockey since we uh, did that trailer. Uh, A lot of signings, a couple trades. um, and Yeah, I think we should just go through a few of these. Um, I think the Islanders, uh, this is just how Lou Lamorello likes to work, I think. He signs like eight guys at a time, I guess seven the other day. two Over two days, I guess, right? But... um, I think the ones that I would hit right now would be uh, Alexander Romanov, who was brought over um, in that trade on the draft day. Uh, he signs a three-year, $7.5 million contract, 13 points in 79 games as a defenseman. But he was a, he was a fan favorite there in, uh, in Montreal, very quickly becoming a fan favorite. And what do you think about that deal? Noah Dobson also signs a three-year deal. He also is a very good defenseman. But what are your thoughts on those two deals? Yeah, I like I like the Romanov deal. I think uh, I didn't really watch much Montreal or like New York Islanders hockey, but uh, I think uh, Romanov definitely slots into their top four. Uh, so I think that's a good deal for him. He's very he's still quite young, but he's a very physical defenseman, which I think will bring a nice aspect to the back end there. And uh, yeah, Dobson having. Uh, his career year with points the last year, I think uh, that signing's nice to lock him up for a little while there and uh, probably just continue to build off uh, what he did for, do over this last season. Uh, definitely going to be top pairing guy there, but uh, yeah, I think those are both definitely solid signings, good trades. And uh, yeah, Lamarillo, I think he likes to just wait it out and <laughs> see what's left over after all the people spend all their money. So <laughs> Yeah, he, he waited a little look too long on Kadri, right? Like, I mean, the Islander fans thought they were having him for, like, three months, it felt like. And then all of a sudden, Calgary's like, no, we got him right here. Um, yeah, no, but, exactly. But, yeah, I don't think he has much cap space to work with either. Like, that's <laughs> kind of a uh, problem with lots of teams right now. So, I think he's kind of waiting on these – waits till the end and gets the bargain deals. <laughs> exactly, right? And, and I think, like, Lamorello, he's one of those guys that likes to uh, – go at the tune of his own of his own horn right like he doesn't do things the way everyone else does i mean like even these seven That's deals fun. that he did over the august 22nd 23rd um seven uh, five of those seven deals were rfa contracts right so he's got these guys locked up and there's only one of them and that would be key for bellows that was signed to a one-year deal otherwise every one of those deals including the ufas i guess there's another ufa that was one year but they're all multi-year deals right so he he's building for the long haul in there um 
And it's going to be interesting to see where the Islanders do. I know a lot of people want them to win since Tavares left, right? Like I've heard that many times. People are like, man, I hope the Islanders win before the Leafs do. <laughs> At this rate, that seems likely maybe, but um, we we don't know. And uh, so the, <laughs> then the next deal that day after he signed the last package of those guys uh, was Paul Stastny. And a lot of people, I mean, I live in Riverton, Manitoba, right? So I hear a lot of the Jets stuff. Uh, a lot of fans are not, not excited about this jet year because it's like, what is happening with this team? Um, they bring in Rick bonus. Yeah. <laughs> they make some changes. They're trying to get things going. Um, but Paul Stastny was rumored to be on the way out. Um, and, and now, yeah, he's in Carolina. But with that, then we, they signed uh, Sam Gagne here recently, right. To, to kind of fill in that veteran presence that they lost in, in Stastny. But uh, yeah, talk about Carolina there, Josh, I think like, that Stastny deal will just complement what they have there. Oh, definitely. I think Carolina is one of those weird teams. They don't get talked about a lot, uh, especially maybe more so in the U.S., but like definitely in Canada, you don't hear much about them, but they're a solid team. Like uh, adding Stastny there, uh, maybe third line, but even if even if he's on your fourth line, like that's a pretty good fourth line center to have is Paul Stastny. Mm-hmm. Consistently yeah, I- puts up 15 to 20 20- like <laughs> can't be yeah, complaining too much about that third line <laughs> yeah not much bad about him to be said right like it's he's he's contributed he was obviously his time in winnipeg was that pick pickup from st louis when they just went on a tear there uh and met vegas in the uh in the conference finals there a few years back but um still able to produce obviously 45 points this year in 71 games um he's still able to to provide that presence, not what he once was, of course, he's aging like they all are, but um, still a, a decent signing there for Carolina, in my opinion. Um, let's talk about Phil the Thrill <laughs> signing in, <Yeah. laughs> in Vegas. So we finally like have this, this idea that he's not in our division anymore. And now he comes over because the Oilers get to play Vegas. They get to play Seattle, all these expansion teams. The Car- California teams are always good, right? Um <laughs> But Phil, like oh, where yeah. Vegas finds all this money, um, maybe Robert Leonard going, Robin Leonard, sorry, going on the uh, injured reserve there helps, but uh, not not a shabby pickup for the uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights. No, definitely not. I think uh, looking at stats last year, only eight goals, uh, still fifty two points, and a lot of assists there, but uh, that's also on a Arizona team that. <laughs> I mean, not much great to be said about the talent on that team, but, uh, but uh, I mean, throw him in Vegas there. He's got a lot of high-end talent to work around, work with, and I think mm-hmm. put, him on your, put him on your power play, uh, even second power play or whatever, but I think he'll get a lot more opportunities. I think you'll see all his numbers kind of reach what he's normally at and like, yeah, I don't know where Vegas finds all the money to get these guys, but somehow they make it work. I mean, they had to give away Pacioretty for free, but uh, I mean, he's gone. He's out for most of the year, but uh, yeah, him, yeah. Uh, Kessel and Stasny, like these guys, one and a half million dollars for a year. Like that's not breaking the bank by any means uh, for mm-hmm. two guys that are kind of on the other half of 30 there. So, right. I mean, I would, right. I'm not too upset by any of those, any of those pickups by them. Like, I, well, I mean, all these guys like Kessel and Kane to the Oilers, like, yes, it would be nice to get them, but I think Oilers have other problems than scoring. I think scoring's not a big problem for them right now. So, 
Well, the best defense is a strong offense, right? So uh, that's the old adage that they say. Yeah, Will Smith pops that one. <laughs> but um, Phil Kessel, you said like only eight goals that year, last year with Vegas or with uh, with Arizona, but uh, foreshadowing his new number in Vegas, right? He's taking number eight because Jonathan Marshall show has number 81. Um, obviously, a deal couldn't be worked out for that number, or I don't know how that all works in the NHL, but um yeah not a, not a bad pickup for him and yeah. uh the other one that was very interesting to me uh came on uh august 31st uh wednesday august 31st um sam Steele to uh to minnesota i watched sam Steele play uh when he was in um in regina like when i watched the whl uh sam Steele was a big part of that uh regina pats team and uh, so I know when he got drafted by Anaheim, that was a big deal. Like that was exciting. And then they got Zegras and they start putting these guys there, Drysdale, a uh, big deal. And all of a sudden Sam Steele found his, his, uh, his name on the outside and ends up in, in Minnesota for like a one year, $825,000 contract, 20 points in 68 games, um, 24 years old. I don't think he's even reached his prime. Has he fallen off a bit, maybe more than they thought he would? I'm not sure, but to me, that was an intriguing signing in Minnesota. Minnesota's a weird team as well. I guess they all are, but Minnesota just kind of picks the most random signings, I feel. Bill Guerin's doing his own thing over there, and uh, Sam Steele is very intriguing to me. Yeah, I, I thought it was kind of weird, Anaheim's approach. Like, I know there's a lot of guys, all RFAs that weren't qualified this year, but to see guys like uh, Sam Steele and Sonny Milano and guys like Mm -hmm. that from Anaheim, like, I'm still very confused as to why Sonny Milano doesn't have a deal somewhere. Like, not that you'd have to pay a major, but, like, he could be one of those one-year, 1.5, 2 million kind of just for a year. And, like, the way he played last year, like, it's very intriguing to see, like, lots of these names, like, still sitting out there uh but yeah it's very strange i found anaheim's lots of the rfas they let go with like guys like sam Steele and sunny milano and these young guys that they didn't want to lock up for some reason even for another year just push them down to next year off season but like very strange they're gonna have to bring out uh Getzlaff and uh solani from retirement and like just build bring jaguar back to the crease no i think gibson's okay there but uh, yeah, like just very interesting. And then uh, we move on to the Buffalo Sabres, who I really hope for the sake of the fan base, because you and I have been through years with the Oilers fan base of uh, being just terrible teams and blamed for throwing jerseys on the ice and just the most outrageous things and the Yakupov dynasty, like those kind of moments. Um, but Buffalo Sabres, like I hope for their, the sake of their fans, and they're building a team there. I, I believe they are. They made some moves last year, getting Jack Eichel out of there and the the pieces that came back then scored in that game against Vegas and Sabres beat Vegas. It was like a storybook thing. Right. But uh, Tage Thompson obviously had a breakout year. So he signs that massive seven year, $50 million contract. Um, and then everyone's favorite goalie, Uka Pekalukanen signs a two year, $1.68 million contract. But like, I also think like, when is he going to play? Because they still have Craig Anderson, right? Um, is, is Subban still in that system? Malcolm Subban? And I, I don't remember if he's a free agent or not, but I know Uka Pekalukan has been the guy in the waiting in the wings, kind of like a Stuart Skinner, kind of like a, 
I don't know. There's other teams that have had those guys, right? They've just been waiting for their chance. Um, but he's he's kind of fourth in line if Subban is still part of their plan. So um, obviously they see something in him. They signed to a multi-year deal. But well, yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, he's only 23. So like you could mm-hmm. stick him in the minors for one year of that contract. Uh, you could bring him up and have him uh, backing up Craig Anderson and have Craig Anderson kind of mentor him along there. I mean, the other side of this is that Buffalo has also signed Eric Comrie, right? So he'll most likely get most of the backup minutes. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens to Uka Pekalukunen. Um, But yeah, tell me what you think there about, uh, about Tage Thompson. Uh, mm-hmm. The Tage Thompson one kind of surprised me because he's still under contract at uh, 1.4, something like that, uh, for this upcoming year. So to go out he really hasn't had a season like last season i mean good for him for cashing in on it at this point but absolutely i almost think i would have rather waited waited for uh if i was buffalo anyways i would have kind of waited till the halfway point of the season seeing kind of how he's progressing maybe you end up paying him eight eight and a half if he does it again or does better but uh seems kind of crazy but i mean then again, he's also only 24, and he's got a lot of upside. He's a big guy who can score. So, I mean, not mm-hmm. much not to like about Tage Thompson. It's just uh, kind of curious or interesting, I should say, signing him to a seven-year deal when he's still got a year to play that you could have kind of seen where he went with that year. Yeah. Do you think, too, like, I, I, I know I follow baseball. You don't really follow that. But, like, Aaron Judge, right, they want to – get him a contract he says if you're not don't have one on the table that i'm willing to accept by the start of the regular season we're not talking all season i'm focused on baseball he is having the best year of his career right now so in the off season like people are gonna be lining up to offer him money i personally think he'll stay a yankee but like do you think that that is part of the process too like some of these guys want to get deals or else you wait till next july to talk to me like that's i wonder if that's part of the process with some of these players as well yeah, I mean, it could be, but I think uh, looking at this here, I think Thompson's an RFA anyway. So, I mean, mm-hmm, true you enough. still technically have you still ha- technically have his rights as far as the end of the year goes, at the very least. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, it is interesting. I don't know. Like, some there is some guys, like, who would go that route. Like, we're not we're not talking this off season. Okay. Let's wait till the end of the year. But I mean, that could also benefit Buffalo because say he only puts up 25 goals and 50 points. You're like, okay, now we're going to offer you six instead of seven. Like, but then again, like mm-hmm. I said, if he goes off on gets 40, 45 goals and you're offering him eight. So I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say, like, obviously I'm not the one offering the contract. And like I said, good for him for getting that, but it's just interesting timing in my opinion, as far as that yeah. one. Uh, Jake Ottinger, three three years, twelve million dollars. So it's a it's a three million dollar cap hit. It says here uh, on TSN.ca, but uh, obviously there's bonuses to make it uh, twelve million, make it four a year. But um, this guy is so intriguing to me because they started the season with uh, three goalies ahead of him as well. This is kind of this Ukopekalukunen thing. They had Holtby, Bishop and Anton Hudobin all like standing there ready, ready for positioning. Right. And one by one, they all got hurt. Bishop retired mid season. Cause he just what couldn't make a comeback. Um, Ottinger leads the way though, all season. Cause they're hurt all year. Uh, 30 wins in 48 games played. 
914 save percentage, 2.53 goals against, um, leads them into the playoffs against the Flames, who, you know, gave them a run for their money until we squashed them like a bug. But it's, uh, but I mean, the one game, like, like game seven, he had 63 saves, did he not? Like in that first overtime, he was sitting at like 70, almost 70 shots. And he's just, he's an unreal talent. And I think yeah, good on him. Yeah, that see, like where I was talking about Tage Thompson, I think Jake Ottinger's the guy you signed for seven or eight years. Like, I don't see him going anywhere. And maybe they had a deal for seven or eight and he wanted an insane amount of money. So they're pushing three years, wait till the cap goes up and then you offer him that bigger contract. But I mean, he's definitely the guy for till, I think he plays there his, the majority of his career. Definitely yeah. starter next year. Uh, stuff like that. So that was the one where I was like, only three years. But I mean, like I said, could be a cap situation where they're three years that cap's going up, so they're pushing it down the road to that point, and then they'll offer more money. And I don't know how many years does uh, Ben and Sagan have? Are they kind of up after that oh, three years too, where they're going to have eight, eighteen, nineteen million dollars to play with after those guys are off? I have no idea, but. <laughs> Well, and the other question, like when you start talking Ben and Sagan, it's like, how much longer do you, I mean, I, I personally think Jamie Ben will play there basically his whole career, but like Sagan, right. Like they're talking about like, what do we do with this guy? Cause he's such a streaky guy. And then he'll just have a breakout three weeks after they say that. And they're like, Oh, he's back. And then it's like, Oh, now he's off again. Um, what they're going to do with those guys. But I mean, they're building the team the right way from the back end. Right um obviously their defense were in the news all year about trades and everything but it's uh it's uh Ottinger's the, the piece you want to build on on the back end in my opinion oh yeah definitely and I mean in regards to Sagan I don't think there's much you can do except just live with having him on your team because of mm -hmm. the deal he's under I don't think there's anyone who's willing to take on that cap hit I mean if you ate half of it then you got dead cap space for three or four years or whatever's left of that so I mean and that's a big chunk of dead cap space, like at least four and a half to five million. It, yeah, just absolutely. sitting on your books while he's, while he's playing for somebody else. So, I mean, I think you're stuck with him and Jamie Ben there. Uh, at least until like the near the end of his career, maybe like, or the end of the contract. I mean, maybe the last year you're able to broker a deal where you go through a second team and you're able to break it down a little easier. But I like, yeah, he's such a strange, strange guy. Like, that's the guy who came right after Taylor Hall, and you don't hear anything about Taylor Hall really much anymore or Sagan. And I remember their draft year, like it was just like Taylor or Tyler, Taylor or Tyler. It was like so hyped up. <laughs> and those guys you don't, don't really hear much about anymore. But I mean, like they're also kind of, what are they, close to 30 now too, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, um, Sagan does have the one Stanley Cup. Not a lot of people remember that, right? But he also had that as a rookie, a fourth-line winger to help that team. And that Boston team was absolutely stacked. Um, they rode Tim Thomas, oh, yeah. like the <laughs> phenom of goalies, to the cup final and and uh, set Vancouver ablaze, literally, with their win. And so, um, yeah, it's it's crazy stuff that happens there, right? But, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a good thing. And then uh, – Friday, moving on here, Friday, September the 2nd, there was some uh, some big signings. The, the biggest one that broke late in the evening on Friday, September 2nd, was uh, JT Miller. Now, here's a guy that had 99 points, 
So he's no McDavid. He's no Matthews. He's no dry sidle. Uh, just kidding. But he had 99 points in 80 games. So he didn't even play. He played those other two games as he get up. I don't know, whatever. We're going to speculate that all day. Um, but I wonder about him because they wanted to like, it was like they wanted to run him out of town and trade him. That was the talk it felt forever. And then all of a sudden Friday night, this news comes out seven year, $56 million contract, $8 million cap hit. Um, and I find that just a kind of intriguing turn of events considering what's happened here. So I still wonder, do they move him now that like, like the pool Yarby thing, like now you got him under contract. Now you know what you're getting. He's mm-hmm. got his 8 million cap hit. It's not, if we trade for him, what is he going to want? Like, he still, I mean, he still could be moved before the start of the season. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. I mean, if he isn't moved, like you got him for seven years and he's a very productive player. So productive and he plays in the division, right? <laughs> so, so it always is running yeah. here. Um, but yeah. And I think uh, just wrapping up these signings really quickly here. Um, Sam Gagne, uh, fan favorite in Edmonton, obviously, uh, signs a one-year league minimum $750,000 contract uh, with the Jets. He had 31 points in uh, 81 games last year with Detroit. Um, are those skewed based on how the team was? I don't know, but um, happy for him. He is getting very close to um, 1,000 games played, and I know they wanted to bring him back to Edmonton, right, uh, to make him that, uh, let him finish where he started. Um, but happy for Sam um class act he's a huge community guy and uh happy he will get a chance at least to crack that thousand game plateau and to do it in canada no less yeah i mean yeah fan favorite and there's all that speculation of edmonton and that workout shirt and the picture with (laughs) mcdavid and dry side on all this stuff and i mean yeah it would have been nice to have him back but i mean happy for him wherever he ends up but if a if a picture is worth um your time like to determine where you're going. I mean, think about those two tourists that took that picture with McDavid a couple of years ago, right? Like when are they coming in on the, on the, uh, on the, on the road with, with McDavid, his wingers. (laughs) So, well, Josh, let's take a break here and then uh, we will come back with more uh, on the MJ sports pod. We'll talk a little bit more Oilers. They made a signing on Friday as well. Uh, We'll break that down. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the MJ Sports Podcast. Uh, just a few more things we're going through NHL-wise here with signings and now moving on to trades and stuff like that. Signing that we uh, kind of skipped over, but I just want to head back to there, Mike, is uh, Philip Zadina signing in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of a little interesting because I remember uh, there was a, at some point I remember there was some talks about flipping uh, Bull Yarvi for Zadina just because they both kind of had down years. Uh, Zadina had 24 points in this last year, and he's still it's only 22. So, like, there was some talk about that. Um, so, kind of good to see him get signed by Detroit there, I guess. But, uh, yeah, no, I just just kind of caught my eye just because of the rumors with uh, flipping Pugliarvi for him at some point. Just kind of – they both had kind of off years. I know Pugliarvi's is more uh, derailed as to injuries, but uh, – <laughs> Yeah, no, that one just kind of caught my eye. And the Philip Myers, too, to Tampa Bay, I guess he came over in the uh, 
gonna trade. Mm-hmm. And then we're gonna trade from Nashville. So they yeah. signed Yeah, so they signed him for another year. So he's kind of one of those guys that I don't know, he just like hasn't really lived up to whatever. I think he was in uh Philadelphia for some time too, if I remember right. I think that's where he kind of started out, somewhere over there, somewhere like that. So mm-hmm. kind of one of those guys that's kind of been bouncing around the minors more so than uh, NHL, but I think he'll have a better shot in Tampa Bay there playing and even a bottom pairing role now that McDonough's out. So, Yeah, playing in Tampa Bay has never been a, a bad thing these last couple of years, right? Uh, <laughs> it's usually a, an, an okay trade-off in yeah. your career. <laughs> um, yeah, one yeah, more sign. Yeah. There's a couple of signs that came through. Uh, Evgeny Sveshnikov is off to San Jose here. Um, he had, uh, I guess an okay, like he was a pickup for the Jets last year. Um, he had 19 points in 72 games, so not overwhelming. And then, uh, the other one that's kind of intriguing to me for a one-year deal, $900,000 contract for the senators, uh, inking Eric Brandstrom, who came over in the Mark Stone trade, uh, many comparing him to be the next, uh, Eric Carlson in a sense for that team, that kind of same style that will be played. Um, and so I'm intrigued to see what that turns into. He obviously hasn't played as much as everyone had hoped he would play, um, early on, but we're going to see, I guess, where he fits in the Ottawa senators of 2022 and 23 are going to be very, very different than the ones that finished off the season last year. Um, I think they bolstered almost every position, right? Like they brought in some big names there, um, uh, at every, yeah, I would say every position, right. And then you got that young core already. That's morphing and becoming what they are um led by another kachuk (laughs) and uh we'll see where that goes but that's kind of our uh our signings that we've had as of late and kind of flip now we want to talk a little oilers because that's who we follow very closely but uh ryan murray man we hoped we got him 10 years ago in the draft and we started the yakupov dynasty there instead and uh 10 years later he comes home (laughs) to to edmonton it seems um (laughs) You know, I, I remember working for Grandpa and seating for him one afternoon and I had the uh, Oilers radio on. Um, they were doing draft preview because I think it was two hours before the draft and they had Ryan Murray on there for almost an hour and just like just pumping his tires. Like, what's it going to be like if Edmonton takes you first overall? Because that was the year, if you remember, everyone's like, Edmonton has to get a defenseman because they got Hall and Nugent Hopkins. And it was like, okay, now we need someone else. Um and so they pumped him for an hour. And then I remember the draft. Even, like, that was even my fault. <laughs> exactly, right? And I was like, man, this is like crazy. And, and so they pumped him for this hour. And then 10 minutes before the draft, they're like, okay, we'll see who the others take. And I remember 30 seconds before they announced the pick live on the radio, they're like, uh, we just got word they're going to take Yakupov. And I was like, huh? Poor guy. He's just been pumped on it radio or this radio for an hour and a half. And then next thing you know, he wasn't even taken. But he comes home. Stanley Cup champion, no less. <laughs> but uh, we'll see what he does, right? I mean, you can't – the Oilers have uh, – we've said this for years, but I feel like now it's finally becoming a real thing. They, they have some good defensive prospects that are actually showing promise now, right? So you have Broberg down there. You have Nima Linen. You now have um, Ryan Murray in the mix here with the regulars. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, no, I'm pretty happy about the Ryan Murray signing. I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of comments through social media and stuff just about how it's not a great signing. He's so injury prone and stuff, but it's just, I don't know. That's one thing that 
frustrates me about Oilers fan base that I've said before to you. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast yet, but it's just like, it, they never seem satisfied. Like mm-hmm. they're during this whole off season, it's like, we need better goaltending. We need better defense. We need this, this. So like, what does Ken Holland do? He brings in Jack Campbell that seemed to quiet people on the goaltending front, but then he starts bringing in other people and it's like, uh, we need defense. We need defense. We need defense. So he goes and signs Ryan Murray. And then it's like, oh, well, he's so injury prone. Why did we sign him? And it's like, I don't know. What the, <laughs> yeah. what, the guy can't seem to catch a break. Like Ryan Murray, it's not like they signed him to be a top pairing defenseman. He's going to be bottom pairing or maybe that seventh D on the 11 and seven rotation. Um, it's, it's not like he's some superstar. Like he's his whole career. He's kind of been injury prone and stuff, but he was on that Colorado team that went to the Stanley cup. He won a Stanley cup. He kind of knows now what it takes and the road to get there. Although Colorado's was a little different just because they were so dominating, but <laughs> I mean, yeah. he, he, he has the, the experience now. And that's, I think that's what the Oilers need is guys like that who can uh, fill out the, uh, kind of that core there like the fringe areas of the team uh that have that experience and have that knowledge of what it takes to get to that position so i'm i'm super happy with the signing i think personally i think he'll surprise a lot of people and he might even uh jump up and grab a spot in the bottom six where he forces somebody else into that seventh d role who knows when when camp opens up but uh no i'm pretty happy with it i'm pretty excited this for this year i think the oilers have uh and Ken Holland's done quite a good job building around kind of the last couple of years coming out of the uh, Shirelli era where he kind of screwed them over. I think Ken Holland's done quite a bit to uh, make up for that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I think um, once Jay Woodcroft came in there, there's something changed there. I know we've seen that with every coach, but this time it was different. Um, mm-hmm. There was more attention to detail. There was like fundamentals. Dave Tippett loved to play the top six and you really saw the bottom six. So then people are like, you know, you can't trade them because no one knows what their value is. Um, yeah. Woodcroft has played, he rolled all playoffs long. He rolled four lines, played the 11 and seven against Calgary a bunch, uh, did it with LA, but he swapped back and forth. Um, ousted Todd McClellan, which was kind of an entry. You know, we ousted Todd McClellan, the, the reigning coach, you know, before Tippett. Then we go and oust our rivals of the Flames. And then everyone just didn't care after that. They're like, ah, we got swept. Who cares? We beat the other two, right? So, but he plays that 11 and seven to perfection. Um, And the guys play it a certain way. It gives McDavid and Drysdale more ice time, um, you know, that they should have, I think, when you're earning that much money and you have that talent. Um, And yeah, I think think he's brought in some good pieces to to complement what he has already. in, in Leafsland, Jack Campbell was the savior. As soon as the Oilers signed him, he is worthless piece of junk that no one should ever want in their net. And so, um, I mean, Jeff O'Neill ran that tangent for a long ways. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I was just about to mention the O-Dog and uh, on free agent frenzy there. As soon as it was announced the Oilers signed him, it's, oh, uh, can he play uh, X amount of games? And can he do this? Can he do this? But it's like, when he was in uh, Toronto, it was like, oh, he's a Vesna candidate. This is a, such a great goalie. And it's just like, he could do no just wrong. Because he didn't want to play for you guys anymore. Yeah, just because he doesn't want to play for you guys no more doesn't mean he's not a good goalie. He just wants somewhere that's uh, capable of uh, exiting a first round of a playoffs. 
or exactly. I guess advancing through the first round, not exiting, because <laughs> that's all they do is exit. <laughs> he's got that. He's got that experience under his belt. Yeah, I know. And I mean, yeah. you look at that, right? And that's that's interesting. And that maybe it's a good segue for us to go into some of these trades. Um, I don't think a team has been more active on the trade market this offseason than the Flames in terms of the grade of moves they've made. Um, yes. The end of that five five game series, like I thought that series we would lose to the Flames, right? I wasn't super optimistic because we barely beat LA. And then we yeah. walked in there and lost nine to seven or six, whatever that first game was. It was like, this is going to be a long series. And then they locked the door for four games in a row. And the flame and Mike, like Jacob Markstrom, he has a 500 record against the Oilers all time. He has never, the Oilers have never had a problem with him. And so that wasn't going to be the Achilles heel. Johnny Goudreau, I mean, there's all all those memes of him skating out after McDavid scores the OT winner, skating out of town, right? Like there's all these things, but like those guys were non factors. (laughs) Like Keith Kachuk, or uh, sorry, Matthew and, and Cassian, like where is that rivalry? It was non existent. Kachuk was a nobody during the series. They all came through and said McDavid, one guy was beating them. And then they continued the next game to allow that to happen. So they didn't correct their mistakes at all. Um, but yeah. you let Goudreau walk, you let you trade Kachuk's rights, and then he got signed in Florida. But like you look at who they brought in in those trades. Like the main one, obviously, is Kachuk, and they give away a fourth round pick, and they get a conditional first round Cole Schwint, Mackenzie Weger, and Jonathan Huberdeau, which I think is, I, I mean, we'll know, I guess, in four months how that trade starts to play out. But to me, Uberdo is that skilled guy, right? He's on his way out. They, they've also signed Kadri. That's kind of the grit. So um, I meant Goudreau's on the way out and Kachuk's on the way out. But you've, you've now got a, a skilled forward and a, um, and a gritty forward, right? Like, you've kind of replaced them. They're obviously way different than the two that left. Um, they're both, like, just seasoned veterans, which is what this team needed. Mackenzie Weger is going to be no slouch on the back end to join what's there already. But the question that keeps coming then is, are the Flames better now than they were when they finished playing the Oilers in the playoffs? And I don't know what the answer is to that, actually. I, I don't, I don't, I think they're different. I don't know if they're better. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good way to put it. I would, I wouldn't say they're better yet. I like, you'll have to see, but uh, I do have to say like, I don't know how Jim Benning pulled that, trade-off with Kachuk, bringing over, adding Mackenzie Weger into that. Tree, but, tree leaving, you mean. Or who did I say? Uh, Jim Benning. <laughs> all good, all good. That, but yeah. Tree living, yeah. Um, yeah, tree living. I don't know how he how he pulled that off, because adding Weger, like, as much as I don't like the Flames, their defense is solid. And adding Mackenzie Weger to that, like that back end with that. And I mean, Markstrom's good against almost everybody but the Oilers. So you add him into that, like that's a solid back end. Yeah. And I mean, and then you, you know, they ship Monaghan out and that was bound to happen as soon as Kachuk or Kadri signed, right? Like that was going to, and they, they talked about that even before then. Um, he should have gone to the Islanders because that would have been really funny after all that if they would have let him go there. But, um, but we wouldn't have gotten like, uh, we wouldn't have gotten him eating toast. We wouldn't have got that footage if he was in Long Island. Yeah, if you haven't seen that, I I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it to you. But they have a a video of Monahan eating toast in the Habs locker room, and that's all the video is. And I'm not 
quite sure what the goal was of that or if I just missed something, but <laughs> they're calling him they're calling him the Sean Monahab, H A B. Um so I guess things are looking good for him. That team's gonna be way different than in the one that exited the season as well. But it's it's uh intriguing. So that's kind of those are kind of the main trades, right? Uh, that I would say happened. Um uh, the other one that we were gonna touch on is within our I say our the Pacific Division. Um, Vegas, right? Uh, Robin Leonard go announced that he's not probably going to play all year. It doesn't sound like. Um, so that leaves them, you know, too bad. There's not a goalie named Marc-Andre Fleury. He could have stuck around, but whatever. Um, that's going to leave them with Laurent Brassois. Kidding. Um, who else is even on the team? I don't even know who the backups are there anymore. Well, there's a, there's a prospect guy there. Uh, who was yeah, he played uh, most... started like four or five games. He, yeah, he played a bunch of games for I them down the stretch name. there. Thompson, I think, was his name. Yeah, wasn't it? I can't remember his name. Thompson. Yeah, I think you're right. Logan Thompson or something like that. Yeah, Maybe, plays with I the Silver know. Knights. But yeah, and it's it's like so. Then you're like, what do you, what do you do? Yeah, and I don't know. Like, Aiden Hill's an interesting one because he, he's kind of the third option on the sharks right now but he's also a guy who's had a history of injury problems so i mean you grab you lose leonard to injury and you go and trade for another guy who's injury prone it doesn't and i don't know like why wouldn't you pay they paid a fourth round pick for him why wouldn't you have upped it to a second and a fourth or something for james reimer in my opinion you're going you want a goalie he's a he'd be a guy he's on a one-year deal he's not going to co- cost you anything beyond this year you get Leonard back next year. So, like, he would be, in my opinion, like, the perfect guy to fill that hole. He's, like, a consistent goalie. And playing behind a defense like the Golden Knights have, like, I feel like he would thrive really well there. He plays really well in San Jose. And their defense is very spotty at best. And uh, mostly because of Eric Carlson, who doesn't want to go through a rebuild, but signs the almost $12 million contract so they can't afford to sign anybody else. So. Well, <laughs> yeah, like James Reimer, he has a modified no trade, and all that means is that he has a five-team no trade list. And no offense to any other team in the NHL, but I don't think Vegas will ever be on a no t- no trade list in the near future, right? Like they have all that talent there. Um, it's it's incredible, and I mean San Jose had James Reimer. Remember that though, go ahead. Oh, I'm just I don't know about. Uh not being on no trade list because uh you if you play for vegas it's not like you really have certainty that you'll stay there very long like they seem to flip guys in and out of there like crazy so i mean mm-hmm. maybe it's the maybe it's vetoing a trade because you want to stay somewhere all year long who knows but like i don't know if like they are very talented but it's like unless you sign there and you have a full no move like the chances of you getting flipped somewhere are pretty good like i mean they just lost patcheretti for nothing and they gave up so much to get him but they had to just yeah. dump cap space because they needed jack eichel on that team for whatever reason like they just want to bring all the stars there build this major team but it's like you have the same salary cap as everybody else like you're gonna to have to move some pieces out for next to nothing well and, and nobody, that's... nobody's gonna to want to help you out to do it <laughs> exactly especially when you're the vegas golden knights right like i don't think you're gonna help anyone regardless but um, even if, okay, so even if he was on the no trade list, 
it still is like he's a UFA after this season. We'll see what happens to James Reimer. But they had him. They have Capo Kakinen, who they brought in. Um, then you have Aiden Hill, who they also brought in from Arizona while, like, before Kakinen came and, and before Reimer, if I'm not mistaken. And then you have uh, uh, Zach Sachenko, who I watched play for the Moose Jaw Warriors when I lived in Swift Current when they would come to town. And he's no slouch. He's now uh, no longer with the Sharks, but you got to wonder uh, out of the three choices you could have brought someone in, why it would be Aiden Hill. And he could surprise us all and have a perfectly healthy season. And we could be talking something different here in June, but um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. He's going to get a lot of playing time. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> He's going to get the bulk of that workload. And I mean, the other thing is too, it's not like the San Jose Sharks were the only people with a goalie. Like, I mean, you could have gone through a lot of, a lot of options there, uh, other teams and stuff. But like I said, it's, you're pushed up against the cap, even over it probably right now. I can't seem to think that the Vegas Golden Knights are cap compliant at this time. Uh, they still, like, you can go over the cap as much as you want, but you got to be cap compliant by the season or whatever. So, I right. mean, the fact that they are over right now doesn't really mean anything. Like, they'll just have to dump another guy for next to nothing. But, I mean, that's the thing is, like, Vegas comes to me and like, Hey, I want this guy be like, Hey, first round pick, please. Like, I don't know. That's yeah. why I start every time. Like mm-hmm. you want it. You want my goalie. Okay. I want a first round pick or I want like R- Riley Smith or someone like a talented player back, like that I can fit mm-hmm. under my cap that you can't. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's never, intriguing. Never, any, that goes for any team. <laughs> yeah. It's intriguing how they work. Right. And they're, They've always been a different team, even since they came in. And um, I know Ron Francis took a lot of flack with Seattle the way he handled the draft, but I mean, he doesn't have any cap issues right now. A couple of years in, right? So he went a different route. He took the most random players from some of these teams where he could have. They're like, "Oh, he should take Price," and he's like, "Oh, we're gonna go and uh, <laughs> you know draft completely different goalies." Drieger was the first one, right, that came in. Um, but it is, it's, it's very intriguing how it all works uh, with them and, and uh, we'll see what, what it holds, but um, yeah. Any last words on trades there, Josh? No, just uh, touching on the, the Ron Francis point. I think uh, like looking back at it, it was kind of crazy. Cause it was like, there's guys available like Vladimir Tarasenko and all these guys. And it's just like, why wouldn't he have picked them up? But then you look at now looking back on that, it's like this flat cap issue that everyone's facing, like, can't do anything about it. They're all, everyone's pressed up against the cap and he's looking pretty good right now. Like he could definitely make some moves throughout the season if he wanted to. I can't see Seattle being super competitive for a couple more years still, but I mean, like there's options there where he could bring guys in and he's got the room to do it because he drafted these guys that aren't really super big contracts or super big names. I mean, look, at the time, yeah, it looked really weird, and it's like, what are you doing? You hardly icing a competitive team, but like looking back on it, it's like it was actually pretty smart. <laughs> well, and I mean, it, it's a cherry on top of their off season. I mean, they're going to offer guys money; they they have the money to spend, um, so you can outbid anyone really. And Ron Francis isn't isn't dumb, right? But um, when Shane Wright falls in your lap at number four overall, that is like the cherry on top for the like that. I hope Shane Wright, for the sake of 
Montreal, like I hope he outperforms um, and makes Montreal wish they had picked him. Right. Like I, I love those kind of stories. And I mean, we're going to see him play this year. I think, I, I mean, he could always go back to Kingston one more year or whatever, but we're going to see what he can, what he can do. Yeah. And I think, I think they're pretty good down the middle as far as prospects. Like they have, uh, what is that? Uh, Berniers or whoever they drafted. Last yeah. Matty Berniers is there. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. he's a center and they have Shane Wright and there's one other guy. And then, uh, who did they bring over in a free agency this year? It was a bigger name, Burkowski or something from uh, Columbus? Like for Columbus, uh, Bjorkstrand in a trade. Bjorkstrand, that's who it was. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah. So they that made adds some. Too, they right? made some moves. Like it, it's nothing crazy that's like gonna propel them to the top of the standings, but they're making moves like slowly but surely, bringing in uh, more competitive guys. And yeah, a couple of years from now, having Shane Wright and uh, Berniers center probably top two lines like that's going to be pretty deadly i think uh, i mean and i mean we we know martin jones many ways from the pacific division but he won't i don't think he's going to hinder their goaltending right like he'll add a little bit of veteran presence even though he's not going to probably play every game um that's mm-hmm. uh that's why grubauer's there right but it's um it's going to be intriguing to see where where that goes but i think that's that's kind of where our NHL sits right now. Obviously, next couple shows, we're going to talk PTOs. We're going to talk training camps as they get ready to go in. Players are coming. Uh, the weather's page keeps showing guys showing up. And Drysaddle was there here a couple days ago skating with the prospects and things. And it's going to be it's going to be fun when that gets going. Um, some of my teams are not the greatest right now, but I have this, this feeling the Oilers are going to be something special this year. And I can actually say that with confidence. Usually, I just say, oh, man, they're 2-0. Yeah. And, and then they lose 20 in a row. And you're like, okay, that's the season. But uh, yeah. this year feels a little different, and we're going to see where it goes. But, um, yeah, I think that'll wrap it up for our yeah, NHL no, segment. Excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where the season goes, how it unfolds. A lot of people move this offseason, right? So there's going to be some different, different flavors of, of talent out there. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. We're going to take a break here, Josh, and then when we come back, Uh, We will wrap up our show and talk about our top performers of the week and uh, talk a little pick them for the NFL as it gets going tomorrow already, Thursday night football, Bills and Rams, and we will uh, break that down a little bit. Uh, We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Well, welcome back to the MJ Sports Pod final segment of the show here. It's been a good first episode, Josh. Lots of stuff we've covered here. Um, we want to finish off our episodes doing two things usually. We want to talk about our performers of the week, and then we do a little pick them. This week will be in a little bit of NFL flavor as uh, week one starts tomorrow already, Thursday Night Football. Hard to believe the NFL season has arrived. Um, but, Josh, I uh, performer of the week. I, I want to start and, and congratulate, and this is my performer of the week, is the women's national hockey team for Team Canada. Um, they win another gold medal, defeat the United States, who they lost to in the round robin, and then come back and beat them for gold. Um, that is the third women's hockey medal in the last, I think, like eight months or something. They've won, they won uh, their back-to-back champions of the world women's, but the under 18 women have won and the Beijing Olympics, the women won gold there as well. So they've, that's three in eight months or six, seven months, maybe even because Olympics were in February, but uh, 
they've also they're two-time world women's champions now they've repeated again on that um marie philippe poulin's there obviously she leads that team by example and everyone else kind of follows but uh, that's my performer of the week honorable mention to uh to serena williams at the u.s open finishing off her tennis career uh in a losing fashion but 23-time grand slam champion that's just incredible one of the greatest tennis players we'll ever see in the women's side of things uh yeah for my performer of the week i'm going to go to the uh, cricket field no, i'm just kidding uh <laughs> i i think i'm going to probably go with uh luther kunavanu on that uh in that san peter game with that catch who probably uh go down for almost at least the nomination for catch of the year uh mm-hmm. seems to always come up with uh those big plays for them uh he doesn't He's not a guy who's getting 10 receptions a game or anything like that. He kind of gets his handful, but he makes them count when he gets them. Like his first catch in the CFL, he almost took took like 70 yards or something almost for a touchdown. He seems to just make big plays. So that's going to be my performer of the week. And uh, second right option would have been for Brandon Banks in the game he had against Ty Cats. So. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah. And we want to do a little pick them. Uh, just picking winners. Josh and I are going to keep track. We're going to start with NFL. We will get into Oilers and hockey later when that starts up. But uh, Josh, four games this week that we want to look at, and uh, I'll let you pick first, um, and then I'll pick, and then I'll announce the next game. That's how we'll do this. But tomorrow night, Thursday night football starts off. Josh Allen and the and the Bills are in LA to play the Rams to kick off the season. The Bills are high Super Bowl favorites. Uh, the Rams obviously coming off the championship. It's going to be a heavyweight showdown just to start the season off, right? Uh, who do you got in that game? Uh, yeah, for these uh, pickums for NFL, I don't really watch much NFL, so it'll just kind of be throwing darts at the wall for me, just picking random teams. <laughs> but uh, I'll just I'll take the Bills on that one. <laughs> yeah, I think that's who I'm going to take as well. Uh, I think the Bills can do it. Uh, Rams will definitely put up a, a challenge there. Uh, every Sunday afternoon, they have America's Game of the Week. This week, the game is the Green Bay Packers at the Minnesota Vikings. Who do you like in that one? Uh, let's go uh, the Vikings. Okay, you're going to go Vikings. I was leaning that way, um, but I think Green Bay just has something there with a division rival. Um, so that's where I'm going to go. Uh, Sunday night football, the Buccaneers at the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, who do you like there? Tampa Bay. Yeah, I don't – I'm going Tampa Bay. I don't think you can bet against Tom Brady very often. Dallas also is such a wishy-washy team. Uh, we'll see what happens with them this season. Every year, they're like the Leafs, right? Every year, they're supposed to win everything. So, um, then the final one, Monday Night Football, our brother, who is a Seahawks fan, is very intrigued about this game. Uh, <laughs> Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos uh, visit Seattle in Seattle. Who do you like there? Let's take Seattle just for the uh, drama of it. Yeah, I, I was leaning that way too. I was like, Seattle might just do this just to prove something to Russ, but I think I don't think Seattle's quarterback situation is going to hold out, and so I I'm going to take Denver there. So you have the Bills, the Vikings, the Bucks, and the Seahawks, and then I have the uh, the Bills, the Packers, the Bucks, and the Broncos, and we'll we'll keep track of that all NFL season. We'll see. We'll do four four a week. We'll do the Thursday night game of the game of the week, America's game of the week uh sunday night monday night we'll do every every year every week i should say of the year um, <laughs> we'll see but uh josh this has been fun 
we want to thank you all for uh, joining in, uh, settling in for the ride. Hopefully you stay with us for a while. Um, any last words to you, Josh? Uh, yeah, no, it's just uh, kind of exciting. Now we got our, had our trailer done and kind of getting excited to get it started. Now kind of wrapping up episode one. So uh, be fun to see how, uh, how far this goes. And uh, yeah, thanks everyone for listening and supporting and uh, yeah, hopefully you stick with us for a while and we don't get too boring. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Remember you can email us mjsportspot at gmail.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter. The handles for both are at mjsportspod um and you can join us we're on apple podcasts we're on spotify you can look us up on amazon music and you can go to acast.com under the show section select mj sports pod stay safe we'll see you next week here on the mj sports pod